Hi everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. So today we we have with us Dr. Nicole Peoples, who is a board certified physician in internal medicine based out of Atlanta, Georgia. She specializes in functional medicine. She is a graduate of Spelman College and obtained her medical degree at Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Her interests in osteopathic medicine stemmed from the focus of the whole person. Dr. Peoples completed her residency in internal medicine at Alameda County Medical Center, UCSF affiliate training program, where she focused on strategies in behavioral change through motivational interviewing and health coaching. She has obtained additional board certifications in integrative and holistic medicine and is certified by the Institute of Functional Medicine. Dr. Peoples believes that medications alone do not make people healthy, but a healthy lifestyle does. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Peoples. We're happy to have you here with us. Yes, we are. We are. So Kim Mm -hmm. was coming up with ideas for our seasons and she said, let's talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, yes. And I said, girl, I don't know how we're going to do this because I don't want the information to be biased. I want us to be able to get the right information to people because even for us, although we're health professionals, we're still like on the fence about what's coming out there. I don't want it to be somebody who's straight like, you know, pharmacy, like somebody whose background is in vaccines who are like pro-vaccines. Right. And then I didn't want it someone to be the person to be somebody who's like anti-vaccine, mm-hmm. anti-vaxxer, you know, yada, yada. And so Dr. Peoples and I, we've been friends for um, years now and I follow her on social media and I had my eye on you. I'm, I'm like, you're one of the people I'm waiting to see what they have to say yeah. on vaccines. And I swear, I was like, she's going to come out here and be like, beware, guys, mm-hmm. beware. And then <laughs> I saw her posting and I said, hold up. Now we really got to have her on there because I trust what you have to say um, because you are a medical doctor and you're not working for any pharmaceutical company. Um, you know, so we want to talk about this today. We want to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People are afraid. Um, there, you know, our community has history with the fear that they have in regards to trusting medicine and vaccines and studies and all of that. So we're going to talk about this today and we're going to talk about the COVID vaccine and get more insight from Dr. Peoples. Yeah. You know what? I went through the same process. I, <laughs> There are people who are who are saying now if if I know if Dr. Peoples is taking the vaccine, then I can you I can trust it because they know I'm also I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm also not vaccine like friendly either. Um, right. I, I kind of live in the middle there, and right. um, and I'm a skeptic, and I'm a physician who is likes to do things holistically and alternatively, and mm-hmm. so um, so. I had to kind of figure out what I wanted to say about it, if anything. And the reason why I started speaking out about it was as I was talking about it with some of my other doctor friends and basically my friends would call me to, you know, basically support their belief that they shouldn't get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the very beginning, that was where I was as well. I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get it. I'm probably going to wait a while. I want to see what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I was really, really skeptical. But as I 
started to redo more research. As I started, the more I talked about it, the more I was talking myself into getting it. And I was like, wait, I, I mean, it was a specific conversation I had with one of my friends. And, I, and she was saying, girl, I'm not going to take this vaccine. And mm-hmm. I just need you to tell me why you're not taking it. And then, <laughs> and then as I started talking, I, as by the end of the conversation, I was like, I sound like an idiot. No, I'm going to get this vaccine. Mm. So, um, and then the reason that the, the, the reason I started to really talk about it was because once I decided that I was going to get it, I don't like to have the conversation about vaccines with not, without talking about vaccine hesitancy in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to have a holistic conversation about it, mm-hmm. um, about what our fears are, why so many Black people were like, no, I'm not going to get it. I don't care what anybody says, because those were the same fears and concerns I had. Okay, And so I wanted to at least at, at minimum not tell people what to do, but at least have the conversation so that we could make an informed decision about it. So, so I'm all there with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's comforting to know that you're coming from both perspectives. It Mm -hmm. is because I mean, you know, anyone can easily say I'm a physician. I believe in science. Let's just go ahead and get it. Right. So let's just set the foundation. What is a vaccine? What are vaccines to begin with? So vaccines are typically, they're they're biochemical components um, that stimulate your own body's immune system, right? Mm -hmm. So it's basically, you're giving yourself something that will cause your immune system to react to it. So the next time you come in contact with that infectious disease, your body knows what to do with it. Your body is very smart. That's the whole point of sort of Mm -hmm. holistic medicine is that the Mm -hmm. body has the ability to heal itself. It has the ability to fight off infection and it does, but usually it has to be primed. So our bodies have to, you know, see the infection at least one time so that our immune system knows what to do with it. And so what vaccines tend to do is to give you um, a part or a, slice of the vaccine uh, or sort of a degraded form of a virus mm-hmm. so that your body can it, to develop an immune response to it. And so the next time your body comes in contact with the actual disease, your body gets rid of the disease before it can even cause an, a true infection. And that's the memory T cells, right? You see, yep. I remember a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's memory and it's, it, yep. And, t- and they create antibodies. So your body creates antibodies. And then when your body sees the, the um, infection again, those antibodies hurry up and attack and get rid of it, kick right. it out of your body so that you don't get sick. You know, I think that's amazing that the body itself has memory. You know, it's not just our brains, but it's our, it's our cells, our white blood cells that fight everything have memory. Let me, let's not All get, right. off, let's not get off track. <laughs> So let's talk about the coronavirus vaccine. How is it different from previously designed vaccines? So yeah, this so this was this was the thing that I think made me the most anxious was mm-hmm. um, this the fact that number one the vaccine came out so quickly and I I couldn't understand for the life of me how they got right. a vaccine out that quick. True. Most vaccines take about four to ten years to actually develop. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was specific about this type of vaccine was that. Um, it uses a whole entire different platform than Mm -hmm. how other vaccines were developed. So it uses something called mRNA technology. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically what that is, is it took a piece of the coronavirus that causes an inflammatory and immune response. And you created sort of the instructions for how to create that part of the the virus. Um, And that part of the virus is specifically called the spike protein. So basically you create 
a, the instructions, which is mRNA, to create the spike protein. The spike protein isn't infectious. It is not the disease. It is not the mm, virus, but okay. it's just the part of the virus that causes your immune system to respond. Mm -hmm. So you inject yourself with the mRNA, your body then makes the spike protein, and then your immune system reacts to it. Previous vaccines usually give you the actual virus in some form. So either it's a, a live virus that they have sort of dumbed down so it doesn't have as strong as an effect, what we call attenuated virus, or it gives you like a piece of the virus that again can cause a, a inflammatory or immune response without giving you the disease by giving you like a dead version of the virus. Right. So mm -hmm. this vaccine, again, was brand new technology in the sense that it had never been tested in large populations for the purpose of vaccine, but it doesn't mean that the actual technology was new. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why people even thought to develop an mRNA uh, vaccine because we had technology, we knew it was possible mm -hmm. and they had all the information they needed to create an mRNA um, vaccine, but they also knew what they could do it quickly. Okay. So the drug companies that decided to create a vaccine said, okay, if we need to get a vaccine out in less than a year, let's use this, this technology that we are familiar with and use it in sort of a new and novel way to mm -hmm. create something a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Nice. So let's um, define for the people who are listening what mRNA is. Um, I don't think we've defined that messenger RNA. What is that? So it's instructions. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, our body has DNA and RNA and RNA basically is the genetic way for your body to say, this is how you make a protein. Mm -hmm. You know, step one, you put, you know, this protein with this or this amino acid with that amino acid. And this is mm -hmm. how you develop a protein. It's really just the instructions. Mm, okay. So when you um, kind of like DNA is also instructions, right? It like tells your body how to produce certain things. So mRNA is just the instructions on how to produce a, a, a protein. And the reason why that's significant is because it's not the actual protein. It's not like mm -hmm. the labs had to create um, the spike protein, which is the part of the virus that causes the immune re reaction, mm -hmm. but it actually just said, we're just going to give you the, the instructions and let your body do the rest. Mm -hmm. um, and that I think is, um, that's what makes this so novel and different because you don't have to go through all the process of, you know, figuring out what virus, what part of the virus you need to, to inject in somebody, kill it, figure out if you killed it enough, make sure that, that what you inject in people doesn't actually cause disease. When you inject somebody with mRNA, they're not going to get the disease. There's just no way that they could because you're not giving them the actual virus. You know, I'm glad that you addressed, you know, how fast the vaccine was coming out because that was one of my hesitancies as well. Mm -hmm. But seeing how you just explained it, it makes total sense. But I'm curious to know, you mentioned earlier when you were speaking to a friend of yours, your friend said, you know, tell me, should I take this vaccine or not? And you really mm -hmm. you were just talking that you're like, well, you know what? I don't make any sense. So what what thought cascade ran through your mind to change the way that you felt about taking the vaccine? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me give you a, a there. It's not just that it was mRNA. That is what made it happen so quickly. Um, and so this is the thought process was first, I needed to figure out what what actually went into getting this vaccine out so quickly, because there wasn't it wasn't just the science that didn't make sense. There was also political mm -hmm. pressure. Right. And I right. think that's a, one of the reasons why particularly black people were kind of given the side eye because they're thinking, well, it's not just that we have to trust the science. We also have to trust the government. Right. And by default, we don't trust the government on a good day. 
And mm-hmm. we definitely don't trust the government when it's being run by a dictator. So that I think added a whole lot of fuel. So I had to really, really understand how they could do this. And it wasn't just sort of a sham. So basically, so the first step of it was that that they used this new technology. But that wasn't it. That wasn't everything. Mm-hmm. It was also the fact that the reason they were able to know how to produce it so quickly. So it was January when our government or our, these agencies knew the sort of genetic code for coronavirus. It was okay. March when they developed the vaccine. So that was two months. Usually it takes much longer. So the first question was, how did they get from genetic code to vaccine production in two Mm -hmm. months? Well, part of it was because the coronavirus is not, the the Corona-19, COVID-19 is not the first coronavirus. Right. Mm -hmm. We've had coronaviruses um, since 2002 um, when we had SARS and then Mm -hmm. MERS. These were all different types of coronaviruses. And it was at that time that they started to look for a vaccine. What happened though, was because they never, those uh, illnesses never reached the level of a pandemic mm-hmm. that it did, funding dried up. People were like, there's no reason to invest in creating a vaccine for a disease that doesn't exist or isn't really a problem. So they had started the process. So they already knew what part of the vaccine they needed to create the mRNA to. They already knew that they could use mRNA. So they started in January already with half of the work already done. So a lot of people thought, well, they just started in January. They had it. They had started in 2002 when they started thinking about creating a vaccine for coronavirus. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that was number one. Then number two was, so now they, number two is the fact that it was an mRNA and mRNA just happens faster because they don't have to do all the parts of trying to figure out how to create a dead vaccine, you know, mm-hmm. a dead virus. But then the next part was funding, right? So when this, as a global pandemic, everybody was pulling together resources mm-hmm. to speed up the process. And a lot of pharmaceutical production delay is just a lot of red tape, right? So it's a lot of, you do this step and then you've got to have the FDA look at it and the FDA has to approve it and that can take a year and then they've got to go back and do step two. You know, So there's a whole lot of like red tape that usually you have to go through. But now in a global pandemic, everybody is laser focused on producing this one vaccine. Mm-hmm. So you all the red tape gets, gets taken out. Um, not the quality assurances and the safeties. That's not what's being jumped over. It's just the delays that we, everybody experiences whenever you're producing something new. So then that's, so that was the next thing. So you cut out all the red tape. You also have a whole lot of funding going towards this. So you're able to have a lot more hands doing things, a lot of production. You also wanted to shorten the time between when you actually tested the vaccine and knew that it was a safe vaccine mm-hmm. to actual production. So instead of what most people do for financial reasons is that they want to make sure that their product is a solid product before they start to mass produce. Mm-hmm. They decided that before we even know if the product is a good one, meaning the vaccine, we're going to start production on it. So mm-hmm. if the, the vaccine ends up to be a flop, we'll just eat that money. We're we're just going to lose that money. So you do those things simultaneously. So that also cuts out a big chunk of time. And then on top of that, um, when it comes to scientific research, the coronavirus in America, specifically at the time when they were doing these studies, the rates of infection in the community was so high Mm -hmm. that you were able to 
get from the beginning of the study to the end of the study very quickly. And let me explain just a little bit. So typically, if you think about something like HIV, mm-hmm. the amount of people in a given community at any given time that have HIV is not a, it's not thousands of people getting diagnosed with HIV every day, right? right, right. Like it was with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And then going from, you know, the time that you get infected to the time that you have um, significant symptoms and significant Mm -hmm. disease is literally within a week, right? Mm -hmm. So you're able to have a lot of people in the population who have the disease. Once they get it, you know, they have the disease. So it's easy for you to be like, you got the disease. You Mm -hmm. also have a lot of testing. So you're able to test people, you know, kind of simultaneously or, you know, to when they, when you think that they have the symptoms, you you test everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So you're able to get from the beginning of a study to disease to then knowing whether or not you prevented the disease mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time, just because there's so many people in the population with mm. it. So you put all of those things together and that is what created this sort of super speed in not only development, but production studies. Now the studies also, the la- I guess this is the last piece is that what they decided to do, a lot of these researchers is that they decided to do studies simultaneously. So part one and part two of the study would be done at the same time. And part two of the um, phase two and phase three would be done at the same time. Okay, okay. That didn't compromise safety, but what it did was it allowed you to have simultaneous things going on at the same time, allowing you to get to the, get your answers answered quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the sort of the last thing that they did. Now, what we still don't know at the end of that, even though I said that safety and all of the protocols weren't skipped, the important protocols that would lead to safety and efficacy, whether or not it worked or not, those steps weren't fit, weren't skipped. But the part that I think even at the end of that, where people might still question, mm, I don't know if I know enough, is because at the end of the day, we still don't know everything. Right. We still don't know what the sort of long-term effects of COVID-19 are. So then the next thing you have to think to yourself, okay, so is it safe? Like, okay, I get that you're not going to die from it in the first 45, 60 days. Okay, that's good to know. But what happens if I lose an arm in, you know, 2025? (laughs) What if I end up with dementia? Well, there are a couple of answers to that. The easiest answer is obviously we don't, like there's no way for anybody to know that. Um, And the reason why I, well, let me get back to that. We'll get back to, you know, the unknowns. But what we do know, talk about what we do know. We do know that for most vaccines, side effects happen in the first 30 days, mm-hmm. really in the first 48 hours to a week, right? So if you're going to have okay. side effects, you know what those ones are. Um, we also know that because of the way that the type of vaccine this is, mRNA vaccine, it actually degrades in the body within hours of you actually getting the vaccine. Really? So what it, it breaks it down and it's out of your system. Unlike other vaccines where they may actually integrate into your DNA. This, you just give it, your body gets exposed to the spike protein that's being produced and then the, the actual vaccine is gone. The third thing is that you have to worry about like, what about all the other agents that they put in with the vaccine? Like what about the fillers and the, the, the preservatives? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, that's, you know, I think people who are really on the anti-vaxxer side are going to, you know, be very critical um, there. And so they did a really good job, I think, of putting out what is in the fillers. And the fillers really are just sort of fats and a bunch of other things that I think are pretty benign, um, according to my sort of assessment of that. But I think there are some things there that are that could potentially be 
you know, questionable over the mm-hmm. long haul. But this is where the rubber meets the road. And to answer your question, finally, <laughs> the thing that changed my opinion in the very end mm-hmm. was that at the end of the day, you have to assess risk and benefit. Mm-hmm. And 3,000, at the time when I decided I was going to get the vaccine, that day, 3,290 some patients had died. Mm-hmm. And I work in a hospital where I take care of COVID patients. I take care of the ones who have been intubated and have been in the hospital for three months. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing the disease firsthand. So mm-hmm. when people die, I'm thinking of people. I'm not thinking of numbers. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of families. I'm not thinking of what they're talking about on the news. I'm talking about real people losing real lives. Mm -hmm. And when you think the potential long-term adverse effects that could potentially come from this vaccine are never going to be 3,000 people dying a day. Right. It's just not. Mm. And the, the, the potential side effects that you could potentially have are unlikely to even be death. You know, like if anything, the types of uh, longer term side effects that we see from vaccines might be some sort of neurologic issues like Bell's palsy or something that doesn't kill you. Even the two people who got had anaphylaxis in Europe when they released their vaccine there, those Mm -hmm. two patients didn't die. But even if they had, that's not 3000 people. Mm. And so I just had to, you know, ultimately, I said to myself, this is going to get worse. And when I decided to take, get the vaccine, it was in December. And I think here we have gone up to over 4,000, near to 5,000 people die in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't ha- like, just like back in March, a lot of people thought, oh, this will all be over by the summer. Oh, this will all be over by the fall. Right. Oh, this will- I never, I never thought that. I knew that this was not going to be gone. Uh, You know, that's not how these things work. And in the absence of a vaccine, it's going to continue to kill people. The Mm -hmm. question is, how long are we going to be able to tolerate this level of this amount of of death? Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it just came down to risk benefits. The risk of not getting the vaccine is higher than the risk of getting the vaccine. In, in my opinion. That's true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, for me, like you and Kim, you guys are first responders. You're in the hospital, in a clinical setting. I'm not in a clinical setting. So I have more time to think a little bit about what I'm doing. And one of my hesitations, and you touched on it, is the longevity um, effects of the vaccine. But other other things that I've read upon that has had me hesitating is, and I think you talked about that as well, the phases of the process of the vaccine that nothing was skipped. And I've read about like animal trials are usually part of a vaccine um, when mm-hmm. they're um, vaccine studies and they skipped it or did they, or did they, they not? No, phase one is looking at safety. Um, and so they, before you even look at whether or not the vaccine works or not, you want to get through sort of phase one and sort of phase two trials where they look at safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they weren't skipped. They were just, so I think that for, this depends, it's, I can't speak for every study because there were mm-hmm. multiple studies out, but the two right. main ones here, um, Pfizer and Moderna, um, that they just did phase one. And then as they got information back on phase one, then they started phase two trials, which is looking at like a, a, a larger population of people, but it's still a, a very small amount of people, but it's mm-hmm. like, um, but so then we're looking at a little bit of like, are there any like, you know, immediate side effects? 
um, at the dose that we want to give it. And I think mm-hmm. actually, I just recently heard that one of the reasons why you have to get the vaccine in two instead of one is that the side effects of getting just the higher dose one time were, were so great. So like they okay. were, they were able to identify, you know, it wasn't like it was just a nice smooth process. They were able to identify, you know, issues and resolve those issues. They're just able to do it a lot quicker given the urgency and the mm-hmm. need for a vaccine. You know, something else I wanted to add, I think you, you know, you hit the, the head on the nail when you said the amount of people dying from mm-hmm. the COVID on a daily basis compared to the amount of people dying from, you know, actually getting the vaccine. Cause I know a lot of people are just waiting for herd immunity to kick in. Right. I mean, um, and I think, you know, that's important to address as well, especially seeing that the strains are now mutating and we mm-hmm. have strains that are, you know, coming into the mixture. So, you know, with that, I wanted to ask, you know, I know that the first COVID vaccine is for the first strain. You know, what are your personal thoughts on, you know, the two new strains that are coming and, you know, how we can, you know, besides, you know, the PPEs that we still continue to have to wear, how can we protect ourselves? Like, will there be another two more vaccines for these new strains or whatever developing strains? So I think what's a lot of people get confused is that everybody's so worried about the side effects of the vaccine. What are the potential side effects of having this vaccine five months down the line, one year down the line, without really considering what are the actual real and present side effects of actually getting coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And when we start to weigh those risks, so the risk of death, the risk of stroke, the risk of blood clots to the lungs, the risk of um, kidney failure, the risk of amputation, the risk of something called long COVID where people have symptoms well after the they've had the virus. Um, mm-hmm. So there are real consequences to having coronavirus um, and having severe disease. And so when you look at those consequences that we know for a fact are there, that are Mm -hmm. clear and present, versus the potential of something that may happen with a vaccine that could, you know, a vaccine that is unlikely to cause side effects. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if it did, they would not be on the same scale. I think, again, we just look at risk versus benefit. The benefit of getting the vaccine, but also what is the risk of not getting the vaccine? Mm, True. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just think that we have to really have a clear understanding about about that. Right. And so there are a lot of people out there who don't even believe the coronavirus is real. Yeah. Like there is something out there literally killing people and people are still in doubt that there's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's because they haven't been touched. I've had a family member die recently of um, COVID-19. And so I don't know if it's because, um, you know, it's not real for them because they have been touched by it yet. Mm-hmm. They don't work in that hospital setting. So those same people are also the people who are definitely going to be against vaccinating because mm-hmm. there's no reason to vaccinate. There's no coronavirus. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I had to check myself, honestly, with this, too, because um, I have to remember that I am in a unique position during this thing. Right. I'm in a position where I'm on calls, talk, listening to other doctors talk about what they're seeing on the ground. I'm in a hospital where I'm actually seeing the real life consequences of it. But honestly, I haven't known anybody personally who got sick enough to be hospitalized. I haven't known mm-hmm. anybody who's died. I mean, now I do have an uncle who's very sick. Um, in another country. 
um, with coronavirus. But up to mm. up to now, I hadn't had anything in um, that was, you know, touching me. And then even my husband would say all these people out in Atlanta, because you look at Atlanta and Atlanta didn't close down like the rest mm, of the world. Did. Sure didn't. And so <laughs> you look around and you're saying all these people at compound, all these people out at the club, none of them are sick. Mm. And um, again, in, in, with, in the absence of having, having a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, what oftentimes I had to explain to my husband was that the sick people weren't the ones who were symptomatic weren't in the club, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's a ton of people who are asymptomatic, who are spreading the disease, but they're they're young. And it's unlikely that you are going to know of the rare cases of the young person who does end up in the hospital or se- severely sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you because the numbers are so high in the community, we can't do something called contact tracing where we're able to identify the source of an infection. Um, or, or how it spread. So what that does is it gives the false sense that the club was safe, but we don't know all the people who ended right. up in my hospital because of the person who went to the club, who then went right. to their grandmother's house and their grandmother went, uh, paid Pacino with right. their her friend and her friend ended up in the hospital and is mm-hmm. now dead. So right. without contact tracing, we don't have ability to say it was the club that that was the source. Right. Of this, of that one individual losing their life. So I think, you know, that there are a lot of misconceptions. But again, I like I said, I had to check myself because I'm in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it every day. So for me, it's obvious that this is serious, but it's not that obvious if you're walking around and nobody you know is sick. Right, right. So, you know, what what do you say to people in our community? Because, you know, we have the history of the Tuskegee studies and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's still fresh in people's minds. What do you say to our community who has that distrust of the government despite, uh, you know, the numbers that are going on? Like, like, what do you say? Yeah, no. And that was the real issue. I didn't even want to talk about vaccines without talking about this issue. Right. Right. Um, And the thing that I the conclusion that I came to was with all of the damage that has been done as a result of how America has treated African-Americans as it pertains to the healthcare system. All of it, a lot of it had to do with informed consent, Mm -hmm. meaning that the in, that black people weren't able to, they didn't know what was happening to them. They, they weren't given any information about what was happening. They didn't consent to it. So in the Tuskegee study, for example, that's the one that most people know about. Um, it wasn't like the, the government went in and said, hey, we're going to do this study on syphilis. And then when a, a cure for syphilis comes up, we're not gonna give it to you, right? That, mm-hmm. That's not what happened. It was a, it was a big old sham, right? They mm-hmm. didn't tell them anything and then they didn't treat them. Um, Mm -hmm. When uh, slaves were operated on without anesthesia because white people thought that uh, uh, they were immune to pain, that they didn't experience pain the same way. It wasn't like they had an option, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't Mm -hmm. given the option to say, oh, I want to participate or I don't, right? So so I think one of the things that we have to think about now is is that what's important to me is, is that every patient has informed consent. Right. That that you are informed about what your risks are Correct. and that um, you are given an option to make that decision based off of real and credible information. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what my job is as a physician is not to tell you to get the vaccine. It's to allow you to make a decision for yourself. That's what we fought for. That's what black people have fought for was mm-hmm. the ability to make our own decisions. But here's the other thing I, I tell people. If 
we had a disease, coronavirus, that was going around killing black people at higher rates. And they said, you know what? We're going to give this vaccine to white people and not black people. Mm. We would we would be that is what we're fighting against. We don't want to be left out of the system. Right. That's true. And so what we're what we fought for is not for us to get be in a position where we're dying and then for our, our right to deny our right to live. That's not what we fought for. We, we fought for this moment. The moment when there's a disease that nobody has control over that is killing us at rates. And then for us to actually have access to the vaccine, that's what we fought for. So I have to try to reposition um, the skepticism or not even the skepticism, but the perspective on it. But I'm, but at the same time, I'm not saying that we should just trust the system either. Right. I'm not out here telling people. I think the system has to prove itself trustworthy. The system Mm -hmm. has to do things to instill trust. And that is when I decided to start speaking on the topic, because part of the system being able to instill trust is to have people who look like you look at the data and then say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about this from a black perspective. I'm thinking about this as a black person, a black mother, a black daughter of, you know, um, a black wife. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all of the things you're thinking about and looking at the science. Mm -hmm. And then part of having access is having physicians in positions that are on on the the researchers who, who, who become the researchers who do the study. That's mm-hmm. part of having equity. True. Having doctors who are out here treating black patients, that's part of having equity. So mm-hmm. these are all the things that we fought for. So I urge people to not throw out the baby with the bathwater and recognize part of what we what we're looking for is exactly what we're getting and doesn't mean that we have to throw away our skepticism. We just have to see where there might have been progress and maybe this that maybe you can consider it because of the progress that's been made. And then the last thing I tell people, which I think is just sort of anecdotal. So everybody's sort of like, oh, I'm going to wait like six, eight months before I get the vaccine. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was I was the same way. But let me tell you this. If it, it, in the context, I'm going to wait six or eight months because maybe there's some real shystiness going on. Mm-hmm, right? right. Maybe what's the thing? The big one is that um, Bill Gates implanted microchips into every vaccine so then they can inject you and then there's a microchip in your body right um or like maybe there's somebody out there this you know conspiracy theory that we're trying to wipe off most of the planet so then you know we're going to give population people population control yeah something <laughs> same you know something like that okay so my answer to that is is this who are the first people to get this vaccine the very first people they're doctors mm. so if there's somebody out there it's not like they're testing, you know, the first line of people getting this vaccine are poor black people. Like that would be another thing that has happened okay. historically in our country where we get tested on first. But no, who's getting tested? Doctors and nurses first and health responders. first responders. So if you kill off all of those people, all y'all are screwed anyway. Okay. <laughs> like you got, we got bigger issues that if everybody, if the people who are really going to have the first side effects of this thing are going to be your healthcare professionals then we got bigger issues. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is that most people who want to wait five and six months, guess what? You're going to have the opportunity to do that because the vaccine is not going to be available for the average healthy individual for months down the line. So you will have an opportunity to to sit back, watch and see. But in the meantime, you and, you know, your loved ones are at risk. So even for me, I've been vaccinated, but my husband hasn't. I'm worried. 
I'm still mm-hmm. concerned about him. My mother hasn't been vaccinated, but my father has. I feel I have a, I can breathe in a mm-hmm. way that I haven't been able to breathe because I know my dad is vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, so I was never concerned that I was going to be one of those people who got really, really sick and ended up in the hospital, but who knows? Cause I've seen patients who've mm-hmm. come to the hospital, who've gotten really sick, who did not have pre-existing Any conditions. Pre-existing, yeah. yeah. So it's not like it's impossible, but I wasn't super concerned about me, but what I was concerned about was, you know, the, the community at large that I am, am, I am around and who do black people, who are black people most around other black people. Right. 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 So if you're concerned about our community, then the best thing you can do for our community is to get vaccinated. You know, let me, let me ask you this question, Dr. Peoples. Um, you know, you're in social media. There was a physician, a black physician a couple months ago that mm-hmm. ended up in the hospital. They kept checking her pulse. Uh, so like, oh, you know, you're fine. You're breathing fine. And she ended up dying. You no, know, how, how do you speak to that? Because I know, you know, you spoke about the clear and present danger, but there's also a very clear and present danger when black and brown people end up in the hospital and they're, they're racist, number one. And then mm-hmm. they're your age and saying, oh, you're only 30 something, you should be fine. Mm-hmm. And your labs are saying something totally different. You're throwing blood clots in your lungs and things of that nature. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you comfort our people um, with these facts? Um, well, so, you know, our industry is, healthcare industry is no different than any of these other ind- industries. The same issues that we see in policing, the same issues that we see in, in corporate America, there, you know, racism and uh, systemic racism are, you know, ever present in our society as Black people, and healthcare is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, you know, that's another reason I tell people, you know, the vac. I, I would like to limit my interaction with the healthcare system as much as I possibly can. So if that's a reason to eat healthy and stay healthy, so I don't have to end up in that in the hospital with diabetes, mm-hmm. right. then that is enough reason for me, right? Um, right? If I get a vaccine, so I don't have to end up with severe coronavirus and have to end up interacting with racist um, healthcare systems, that is enough for me. So that's number one. Number one is, you know, prevention, right? Prevention, prevention, prevention from the, even having to do the interaction. But then the second thing is, um, is advocacy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we talk about why are the rates of death in, um, our community so much higher than all the others? Um, and we can talk about comorbidities. I think that's, that is, one reason, but systemic racism is also another, like the reason why we don't get treated the same way. And this is not new. This is, you know, so there are also people who probably died who would not have died if they were of another race. Um, So that also pushes our mortality rates up. The same reason Mm -hmm. why infant mortality and and, and, uh, maternal mortality are so high in the African-American communities, despite race um, I mean, despite uh, socioeconomic or other comorbid um, factors. Right. So, um, so how do you encourage people with that? It's it's really about advocacy, and that advocacy has to do with informed consent mm-hmm. too. It's about knowing what you need to know, talking to the people that you need to talk to when. Um, you get sick. And that's another thing I had to check myself on. And which is another reason why I started talking about this publicly is because I'm able to talk to my social network is 50% doctors, right? Mm -hmm. So my Instagram and Facebook timeline is going to look different than somebody who doesn't have all of their friends who are healthcare professionals, right? Right, right? And so again, 
all of us as healthcare professionals have to be out there talking to people and telling them how to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. You, we have to tell people, you know, connect that, you know, black cousin of yours with the doctor that you know from, you know, back who you went to high school with, who ended up becoming a doctor or something. Connect, help people connect those mm-hmm. dots. True. Ask questions of people to, to ask to ask people who know mm-hmm. the questions so that you can then go out armed with knowledge. So for mm-hmm. example, when I have friends of mine who call me because they know I'm a doctor who takes care of COVID and they say, hey, my husband has COVID. What should I do? What should I be looking for? I'm mm-hmm. able to give them some answers. Not everybody has a direct line to a doctor they can call for that. So we have to start using our networks. We need to spread our right. networks out a little bit wider. So I have people who call me for friends of friends of friends of friends. And every single time I will answer their questions for them. Um, mm-hmm. I get on these platforms so that I can give people the things like make sure if you get coronavirus, have a pulse ox mm-hmm. at home. If your oxygen level starts to drop below 90, that's a sign you need to go to the emergency room, right? If your respiratory rate is going above 22, 25, I mean, really, the normal respiratory rate is 18. So if you're in your 20s, that's another sign that things are going awry. Um, mm. So, but I'm also a holistic doctor. So I'm also telling people, how do you boost your immune system? Right. Removing sugar out of your diet. This is a good time to get your health under control, right? It's a great mm-hmm. time for you to get your health under control without medications. It's a great time for you to do things that will boost your immune system, vitamin D, vitamin C. I'm not a person out here who is telling you that if you take vitamin C and mo- and what's that one that everybody talks about? Tree moss? You know, I'm not that, you know, I have people who are like, well, if I'm taking my CMOS and my vitamin C, I'm not going to get coronavirus. I don't know of any study that's ever proven that, but I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Do anything that boosts your immune system. But if you get sick, you still need to go to a hospital. That's right. <laughs> um, but you need to be boosting your immune system. So again, prevention is the number one key. Get vaccinated, do things that are going to be helpful for your body, and then expand your network so that you ask people who know, you know, I, I see a lot of people on Instagram making comments who aren't health professionals and they're just making assumptions and like, don't take your, your medical like knowledge from, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about medicine. Right. Right. Um, and you know, with how knowledge is out here, you can find a doctor who is a black woman, who is a doctor who's speaking on this thing and follow them on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like right. there's so, their YouTube channels, but find somebody who's credible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and find multiple people. So one source of something is usually not enough. Exactly. To, you know, particularly if you're looking at social media for to right. get your, your insight, but it's a good place to start. Very true. So tell us the process that you went to get, went through to get the vaccine. Um, I know it's a two-step process when it comes to actually the injection of vaccines and you've gotten your second those already. So tell us a little bit about that. Did you have any symptoms? Let's clear all that up. Yeah, I, I, I had a hot mess of uh, experience. Um, so I got the first vaccine. And um, that day I was the moment I got it, they have you sit and wait for about 15 minutes to make sure you don't have like an anaphylactic response. Mm-hmm. And I did get I got dizzy, I felt a little nauseous. Mm-hmm. I hadn't eaten. So I just took a little snack out of my purse. And um. 20, 30 minutes later, I felt fine. I was fine for the rest of the day. Had a lot of soreness in my shoulder where I got the injection. But besides that, I was good after 24 hours. The second um, injection, however, was a totally different story. Um, They say, you know, if you're going to, if you're working, you know, get the vaccine, take a day off 
take the day that you get the vaccine off the very, for the first one, but for the second one, take two days off after you get it. So the day you mm. get it and the second day. And, you know, I knew that going in, but I had to work anyway, just because of how it felt like I had to get the Pfizer one. I had to get it on a Wednesday. Um, and so uh, the day I got the day after I got the second vaccine that morning, I had been feeling kind of queasy. You know, I've been feeling mm-hmm. a little achy. Um, I had a lot of soreness at the site of injection. Like I could barely touch it. It was like visibly swollen, but for the most part, I felt okay. And mm-hmm. I posted on Instagram, I'm doing great. I can't 15 minutes later, right after I made that Instagram post, I started feeling horrible. That body ache that I had kind of felt before got a lot more intense. It was very much like a flu-like. Mm-hmm. I finished my shift and I went home and I slept for the rest of the day. Um, I had a, um, When I woke up the next morning, I was fine. Um, again, so real side effects, like, you know, um, these, but these are, these are, it's like the day that you get the flu mm-hmm. and you're like, knew, know that the flu is coming on and that's mm-hmm. like how it felt. But I had a lot of relief knowing that I wasn't going to get the flu after this. Mm-hmm. I knew that the next day I was going to feel fine. So I went to bed feeling, you know, I felt good that, you know, mm-hmm. although I feel crappy today, I know that will be gone tomorrow as opposed to if I had had coronavirus and I felt that way and I would never, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow might be worse. And the day after that might be worse. So mm-hmm. I was more than happy to take those side effects. Are, are they still recommending people who um, have allergies to not take it? So it's not that they, they recommend not to take it. What they recommend uh-huh. is for you to talk to your doctor about it. And I, this is okay. one of those things that I think can get very misconstrued. And, mm-hmm. and that is, is that just because you have allergies doesn't mean that you can't get the vaccine. What they're saying is, is that it's important for your doctor to assess your, your allergy risk. risk. Right. So, for example, if you are a person who has anaphylaxis to eggs, they mm-hmm. always ask you, do you have egg allergies before you get the flu vaccine? But sure. if you have allergies to nuts, they don't care about whether or not you have, because there's no nuts in the in the flu vaccine, right? right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the question is, do you have allergies to something that's in the vaccine? Do we have any reason to believe that you will have a allergic response to this vaccine because of its components? Mm-hmm. So that's what you're going to talk with your doctor about. You're not going to just go and say, I have allergies, so I shouldn't get it. The people that I know who are, like I've talked to people who have like, severe re- like anaphylactic reactions to things like penicillin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there may be some more area for discussion in those people because it might be that their immune system is just hyper responsive, particularly mm-hmm. people who are allergic to a lot of different things. But for the most part, if you have an allergic reaction to penicillin, that, for example, does, that doesn't mean that you will also have an allergic reaction to the coronavirus vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, just the same way it's like, you can get, you can still take other antibiotics. You just can't take penicillin. You could take other vaccines. You just can't take that specific vaccine. So, um, I just think don't, don't, don't you rule yourself out for not being able to get it. Talk with someone about what your true risks are yeah, um, and then make a decision. Gotcha. Well, this has been so informative. I, I want to make a statement because I don't want people, um, coming at us and saying Kim and Joanne are out here promoting the vaccine and Mm. they must be getting paid or something crazy because, you know, social media comes up with the craziest. Um, And I can speak for Kim on this and she can um, correct me if I'm wrong, that we are a podcast that's all about informing people. That's right. And we want to, we want the information that is provided to you guys 
um, to be brought to you guys by experts so that you are able to make your own informed decision about what you're going to do for yourself and your family. And I, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, when the information is coming from someone who is someone I know, as opposed to what I'm just seeing online or what I'm just reading or seeing from social media, it makes it a little bit more trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So with Dr. Peoples, I felt like she would be someone that would make the information more, um, I don't know, people connect more and want to listen as opposed to just be like, uh, I don't know what she's talking about. I'm not you know, going to do this. So this is all about information for you to make an informed decision, which I still need to make for myself. And I'm not a first responder. So I still like Dr. People say, I probably got months before it's even available to me. Um, and that's what we are, this episode is about making informed decisions for yourself and your family. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I say the same thing. Um, again, my mission as a physician is, is to be a, a teacher. Mm. Um, and that's what physician actually means. And so it's not, I don't want to, I don't want to promote, I'm not here to promote it. I just want people to have the information so that they can make informed decisions. And I want people to get reliable information. Mm -hmm. um, that's really important because in this day of, you know, information, a lot of information isn't reliable. So you need to source check everything. Um, right. Right. Dr. Peoples, we appreciate you being here so much. Yes. Go ahead and tell us the website where people can go and connect with you. So it's drnicolepeoples.com is my website. I'm not taking any new clients right now because I'm so swamped here with coronavirus um, doing other things. But um, as far as having access and getting access to information, you can find me there. You can also follow me on social media. Um, I don't even know what my social media platform is. I think it's Dr. Nicole Peoples too on Instagram and maybe People's Functional Medicine on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter or LinkedIn or any of those other ones. So. We'll make sure to connect it in the show notes. So yeah. thank you for sharing with us your passion about the the vaccination and, you know, giving us two sides, two perspectives. Mm -hmm. Listening to this episode, please do not hesitate to share it with your friends and remember to give us five stars and see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.